Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, it's film noir, but it's more so the accoutrements of film noir. And I was going to do a visual presentation, but this is as good as it gets. So we have a lantern, an LED lantern for a nosy detective like me. We, of course, have the Bogart hat, the fedora, as it's traditionally called, and a nice warm peacoat. Because, you know, a lot of these detectives go out in questionable weather. Snow, in Robert Mitchum's case, in Out of the Past. Rain, as in Philip Marlowe's case, played by Humphrey Bogart in The Big Sleep. Remember, he's got that hat and coat. Um... And then, of course, Key Largo. You know, Key Largo, it's not about the accoutrements. It's about the story. But most film noirs take place within these accoutrements. The hat, the coat, sometimes gloves, and the lantern or flashlight, whichever you have on hand. And then, in the case of Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, almost getting your nose cut off because he's a nosy detective. That's what the gentleman says to him. And also in Chinatown, the case of trying to throw someone off course. Remember, Diane Ladd poses as Evelyn Mulray and says, Mr. Mr. Giddies, I have a job for you. I'm Mrs. Evelyn Mulray. And then finally, when Faye Dunaway comes into the picture as the true Evelyn Mulray, and it's like out of that Eminem song. Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Well, will the real Evelyn Mulray please stand up? As uh, Jake Giddies is telling that very profane joke. And he says, oh, you're that Evelyn Mulray? Yes, Mr. Giddies, that Evelyn Mulray. And how she asks him if they've ever met before. And he says, no. And thus we begin Chinatown. And we've talked about that on many, many occasions. You know, film, film, that's considered neo-noir. But I would consider it film noir because it's still within the context. It's just not, it's not shot in black and white. It's shot in color in 1974. Directed by Roman Polanski. And then we go back to, you know, in the 1970s, they revived Philip Marlowe. Robert Mitchum played Philip Marlowe in The Big Sleep. It had been played decades earlier by Humphrey Bogart. You know, I've never seen the Robert Mitchum version, but I I would like to ask Eddie Mueller of Noir Alley if it if it stays true to the plot of the Raymond Chandler novel. Because remember, that's his issue with the film and many people's issues with Howard Hawks's the big sleep because Howard Hawks was the director who said look we've got these two big stars they've gotten married we want more additional scenes with Lauren Bacall and that's what made the film successful you think of it the Bogart and Bacall pairing for four films in between that Lauren Bacall did a, uh, a film that didn't 
it didn't receive very well and people started to write her off dark passage kind of saved the day as did key largo because you know lauren bacall has said that she didn't have her traditional movie career for one when she married bogart she agreed to put her career on hold so that they would stay together so that the family unit that bogart really wanted you got to remember bogart became a father for the first time in his 40s thanks to lauren bacall there was stephen bogart or stephen bogart there's steve uh, yeah there's stephen bogart and leslie bogart the bogart children and then after Bogart's death in 1957, Lauren Bacall remarried Jason Robards and had another child with him, Sam Robards, who actually is an actor. Leslie Bogart and Stephen Bogart aren't actors, but they've continued to, you know, work in the, the Bogart um, estate. You know, his likeness, the films, Bogart. I mean, there's Bogart alcohol, there's cigars, there's hats. You know, unfortunately, I couldn't afford the traditional Bogart hat. I think those run about close to $500. But that, you know, that kind of detective-y hat. And film noir, you know. And, and not all detectives are film noir. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that 40 years ago... Due to a writer's strike, we had a detective come on the scene who wasn't wearing a fedora. He wasn't wearing a, a pea coat. He wasn't stuck in a black and white universe in the streets or alleyways. This detective was in Hawaii wearing shorts, a shirt, and, of course, that famous mustache. And I'm talking about Magnum P.I. I'm not talking about the one right now that looks like he's wet behind the ears. I'm talking about Tom Selleck as Magnum P.I., a private investigator along the lines of these, these noir heroes. Philip Marlowe's, you know, in The Big Sleep and Harry in uh, Out of the Past. You know, that, that's, uh, yes, that's a stretch, I know. But the detective, and also, you know, I've talked about Murder, She Wrote. Murder, She Wrote and Magnum would do shows together. Jessica Fletcher was on an episode of Magnum. Yeah, okay. Th those were the 80s when, you know, oh, one person's on this show. Someone from Dallas would go on Knott's Landing. In fact, Knott's Landing was a spinoff of Dallas. Not film noir, but it's a little bit of 80s trivia right there. And so within these film noir, noir characters, like Humphrey Bogart, like, like uh, Robert Mitchum, you know. And of course, let's, let's not forget Joseph Cotton. Joseph Cotton, who didn't get a lot of attention. I mean, he did for the day, but now I think people have virtually forgotten Joseph Cotton. Unless you are a film person and you know that, okay, he was in The Third Man with Orson Welles. Orson Welles, who did a lot of noir films. People do consider Citizen Kane a film noir. There's no detective, though. There's no femme fatale. It's probably the, the, the cinematography of Citizen Kane and also the fact that 
you know, Orson Welles was a triple threat within that movie. But then, you know, he did movies like The the Third Man, and then he did... um, What is that one movie that he did? You know, Orson Welles... Orson Welles had that voice... In The Third Man, he played a really charismatic villain, Harry Lyme. Uh, if you've ever... There, there's a really great moment in... It's one of my favorites, in fact, in, in terms of how it looks, how it was shot. Uh, Touch of Evil was the film that I had forgotten. And also Lady from Shanghai. He was married to um, Rita Hayworth at the time. But in The Third Man... There's a great scene where Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles are on top of this Ferris wheel. And they're looking down, and Harry Lyme says to him, Tell me, would it bother you if one of those dots stopped moving forever? And through the film, we can see what he's talking about. What he's suggesting. And... The different, the different context. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, I I've seen the Third Man so many times. I saw it a few years ago and I didn't care for it, and then I thought, you know, I need to watch it again. You know, there there's so much going on within the Third Man. There's that music which we can't play, where Orson Welles, it the the light is on him and he just looks at. Joseph Cotton, and he just smiles. He grins as that music plays. It's his, it's his villain music. But this is a scene I'm talking about with, um, with Orson Welles. And I hate YouTube and their commercials. But, you know, if you want to go commercialless, it's like if you want to go um, uh, commando, no underwear, you got to pay the money. Have proper pants on. Here we go. Here's the scene. Victims. Be melodramatic. Down there. Would you really feel any pity if one of those dots stopped moving forever? If I offered you 20,000 pounds for every dot that stopped, would you really, old man, tell me to keep my money? Or would you calculate how many dots you could afford to spin? Free of income tax, would it? Free of income tax. The only way you can save money now, dude. A good your money will do you in jail. That jail's in another zone. There's no proof against me. Besides you. I should be pretty easy to get rid of. Pretty easy. Wouldn't be too sure. Now, they're both wearing the hat. Joseph Cotton's character is, of course, wearing the hat. He is really the detective. Orson Welles is the man who wants to be forgotten, Harry Lyme. There's so many subtleties in Orson Welles' face, and I think that's why people like him. He's such an interesting actor. moment is when they step off the, the, the Ferris wheel. 
When you make up your mind, send me a message. I'll meet you any place, any time. And when we do meet, old man, it's you I want to see, not the police. Remember that, won't you? Is that a threat? <laughs> Don't be so gloomy. After all, it's not that awful. Like what the fella said. In Italy, for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. The cuckoo clock. Is that an accoutrement in itself, verbally, of film noir? Trying to throw someone off as he's trying to... The cuckoo clock. Okay. Yeah. There's also a lot of anagrams in detective stories. And as I say that, this is not film noir, but it is a detective story. And that, of course, is The Silence of the Lambs. Think of Clary Starling. And think of all these little things that Dr. Lecter is trying to throw at her. He's throwing all these anagrams at her, she, and she gets it. And he says to her, you, do you realize how close you're coming to solving this case with Buffalo Bill? What a naughty boy. And, you know, she's like, your anagrams are showing, Dr. Lewis Friend, also known as Both of Goth. Oh, Gladys, that's the problem. You need to get more fun in life. You know, yeah, if I freaked you out, that would tell you how many times I've watched that movie. And it's a detective story. But there's no femme fatale. There's no Harry Lime. Although Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs can be very, very charismatic. And that's the scary thing. And that's kind of what they did with Orson Welles and The Third Man. Dustin Hoffman said he is a brilliant villain and when you make the villain more popular than the hero in a movie house there's nothing better and he knew that all too well because he had played Captain Hook not not brilliantly but you know playing a, a famous villain we could ask Margaret Margaret Hamilton about that she played the villain of all villains the Wicked Witch of the West and within the film noir you know, you have all this mystery and suspicion. Same with the Silence of the Lambs. There's a lot going on with this. This there's a there's the the beginning, the middle, and the end of Silence of the Lambs, and then there's that wonderful surprise. Some of you probably weren't surprised, but we know that Clary Starling is surprised when she hears from Doctor Lecter. And he's got that hat on. He's got a fedora on. Is he poking fun? Is the filmmaker going, hey, let's dress him up like, well, a tourist, but also with that fedora. Then he looks distinguished because a lot of these detectives look distinguished with that fedora on. Yeah. The film, it's it's the accoutrements of the film noir. And sometimes these detectives have you know, some uh, like like a little cup of brandy with them. You know, they're loners. They're they're controlling their own transportation. I I knew people like that in my life who com- who controlled their own transportation. You know, it's like, hey, could you do a little job for me? Now, I didn't know people like that, but being able to control your own destination. 
not telling people where you're going. Okay. Those are detectives, private investigators. Yeah. You know, and that is the mystery. And that's also, I think, because it's dangerous. That's danger right there. It, it, it really, uh, it's the adrenaline. It's the adrenaline kicking. You think, think of these actors have to show that on screen. So they, of course, have to sweat. Okay, there's no Botox involved. Think of how well Humphrey Bogart is sweating in the big sleep. All throughout the film, he's got to go in there. He's heard screaming, a gunshot, the camera, the film is missing. It's a film noir. Whether other people would agree with me or not, that's fine. You look at out of the past, the changing of names, how Robert Mitchum's character basically has wanted to forget the past, as did Harry Lime in The Third Man in Vienna. That's why when I ask that question of people online, do you consider the third man film noir? They say no. It's a European film. But, and then I say to them, well, you do know that the film noir term comes from France. And that is European. And film itself really has no place of origin because film is everywhere. You think of the silent films. They had no language, basically. You could you could put whatever you wanted. You look at the German f- expressionist film Nosferatu, Nosferatu, which is about Dracula, and how they were. And that's very easy for them to translate it through the cue cards, through the captions. With another film, you could do that. In terms of the self-preservation of those films of that era. That's why a lot of the films of that era are lost. And someone like uh, someone like Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese are wanting to preserve them. Mainly Martin Scorsese. I think they all have a love of film noir. You know, there are some noir aspects in Martin Scorsese's films... Casino for one. We could, I mean, is is Sharon Stone's character a femme fatale? I think she's a hooker with a with a money object right there. She she wants the money. She gets hooked on the drugs. You know, Martin Scorsese pulls a really good performance out of her. And then you have Joe Pesci's character who just never shuts up, and Robert De Niro's character. Yeah, it's a it's a far cry from Goodfellas. Is Goodfellas film noir? No. But there are other films of Scorsese's where okay, like The Departed. The Departed is really yes, it's a crime story, but it's also a detective story through Leonardo DiCaprio's eyes because he realizes that something's going on. Remember, he is undercover and only Martin Sheen's character and him know that. Where Matt Damon's character, he thinks he's the only one on the inside for Costello's gang. 
but you find that out through the movie and it and it is based off of a japanese detective story so there are film noir aspects within the departed the departed was i told someone recently that i watched the departed the night before it won the oscar and i remember watching it and sometimes you can the end of a film says a lot and as i and i'm not going to spoil it cuz i know some of you have never watched the departed the end of the departed when i saw what i saw and then you hear the music and i thought ah and i remember telling someone it's going to win and it won because the 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 look and feel of the film is good but the way the film ends Okay, you have to think about that. This film has brought you within these two hours. It's thrown all these characters at you. Some have come out come out unscathed, and some, well, boom. It's a it's a Martin Scorsese film. There's a there's there's going to be a lot of blood. Okay, a lot of blood. But it's a detective story, and. But there is no femme fatale. I, I think, you know, if, if we had a movie where you've had the femme fatale and you have the detective and, you know, it's along the lines of Sherlock Holmes. It's like the modern day Sherlock Holmes. And Benedict Cumberbatch never wears the hat except to make fun of it or when they go back in time, you know. Uh, Watson never has a pocket watch like the book. You know, um, but it's a detective story. Are there noir aspects to the BBC's version of Sherlock? Yes, there are. It's a detective story. We we have Sir Arthur Coyle, or not Sir Arthur Coyle, <laughs> Sir Arthur Cole, <laughs> the writer of Sherlock Holmes, the creator. Of Sherlock Holmes. You know, I've seen many different incarnations from Basil Rathbone to... I remember there was like a, a young Sherlock in the 70s. Let's see. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The man who created Sherlock Holmes. Yes. A writer and a physician. So that's where we get, you know... The Watson aspect. And these detective stories, I if if Doyle had lived and who had, had witnessed film noir, you know, you gotta understand it wasn't called film noir until after this era. That phrase was not coined until later. And thus you have these great institutions on TCM like Noir Alley, which I think a lot of us refer to. You know, my whenever I describe these films to people, a lot of people are, oh, it's black and white. I don't want to watch it. Okay, that's fine. Or people will complain. I say, hey, it's a form of familiarity. It's a form of comfort. And you can put up, you know, get a blanket or a pillow and watch these crime dramas, these film noirs. That's what they're designed to do. The first time I watched The Big Sleep, and you can debate with me that it's not a film noir, but we consider it a film noir. It has everything going for it. 
But I remember watching it. It was a Sunday night or Sunday afternoon and it was raining. I'd never really watched a, a, a Humphrey Bogart film before. Actually, no, wait, that's not true. I had seen The African Queen, but that's him in, in Hepburn. It's not a film noir. And so to finally watch the, the films that made Humphrey Bogart famous. Now, The African Queen, he won his only Academy Award for that. Some people have said that that was seen as a last act. He didn't win for Casablanca. He was nominated. You know, it's a it's a it's a weird ball game. You go back to Casablanca. Ingrid Bergman wasn't even nominated for that. She was nominated for a movie she did that same year, for whom the bell tolls, with Gary Cooper. And Gary Cooper has played detective roles before in films, but that's not what people pay attention to. People pay attention to the leading man, the Dabonair, Cary Grant, or Gary Cooper, I'm sorry, Cary Grant, Cary Cooper, yeah. It's like Uma Oprah, okay? And so we're going to dive more into film noir this week with a guest, so we'll sh- we'll see how that happens. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, if the technology can permit it. You know, but the it this is a word that my friend loves. He was on the radio once and he was someone compared him to Sir Elton John and he says, Well, you know, I don't have the accoutrements of Sir Elton John, the pink boa and the feather hat. Yeah. You know. Cause it's about Philadelphia freedom right there. But the accoutrements that I have before me, the Fedora or as I call it, the Bogart hat, the lantern, or a flashlight, the pea coat, the nice warm detective long coat that detectives wear. Magnum P.I. didn't wear it. Magnum P.I. was a different kind of detective. Shorts, a Hawaiian shirt, chest hair poking out, mustache. That's why I have a problem with the current Magnum P.I. He looks like he was just born. You know, the original Magnum P.I. looked like a, a man, like a well-lived, traveled man with problems. And a lot of these detectives have problems. Some of these detectives, like Perry Mason, which we talked about, was a, a World War I veteran with shell shock syndrome. I don't say PTSD because originally that's what it was called, shell shocked syndrome. Okay, so they're trying to escape something. The same could be said for the character in Devil with Devil in a Blue Dress, where Denzel Washington's character is a decorated veteran of World War II, only to come back to America, where he is just seen as a second-class citizen. And that's film noir right there. He goes and becomes a detective because no one else will hire him, and there's money in it. But it's not, it's under the table money. And Perry Mason and the origin story of the HBO Perry Mason knows a thing or two about under the table money. And there's noir aspects to Perry Mason. And that's why I urge all of you to watch it. It is a brilliant origin story. Matthew Reese playing Perry Mason. You're going to see him in the courtroom, but this is how he got to the courtroom. Because there's always a, there's always a beginning to where we find these icons. A lot of people don't want to dig, 
So it's an origin story. And I think if we were to read the Raymond Chandler novels, The Big Sleep, we would dive more into it. You know, but for me, when it when it's about Noir, it's about Bogart, it's about Bacall, and it's also about Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum had that voice, the look. Robert Mitchum didn't give a shit, okay? He just did not give a shit. And that's why, and that comes out in his characters, especially when he plays a detective, okay? Bogart's character is always looking to make things right, to solve the case, to solve the murder. And in and in turn meets Lauren Bacall. That's always the that's always the added treat right there. If you think of to have and to have not, when he meets Lauren Bacall. Or in Dark Passage when he when he sees her, the big sleep, she's this, you know, heiress with this sister who has problems. And of course, we end it with Key Largo. Key Largo, which I've seen all four of the Bogart Bacall films. I think Key Largo, there's something different about Key Largo. Also, the ending of Key Largo. There's two endings to Key Largo. A lot of these film noirs, you got to understand, they, were, they would use test audiences. And if the test audience didn't like it, they have to change it. And Key Largo supposedly had two endings, as did Double Indemnity. I will say this because I'm sure many of you have seen Double Indemnity, but in Double Indemnity, we know that he's killed someone. And he opens the film with him talking to an addictophone saying, I want to confess to this. And then he and then it flashes back. But there is a scene I don't think they ever shot, but there's a photo of it of Fred McMurray's character in the gas chamber because they were going to kill him because he murdered that man. But Billy Wilder didn't want it in there. So there, there's no real evidence. There may be that they filmed it or it's on the cutting room floor. A lot of these films, you know, like I said, in terms of the preservation, yeah, that's film noir for you. It's always a mystery. And life itself is a mystery. And to go off of a noir topic, I will say, and I would be remiss if I don't mention that today, 57 years ago, the President of the United States was murdered. And to this day, 57 years later, this is a mystery, a detective story in itself. Probably one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of the 20th century. Yes, everyone would say, oh, OJ and the trial of the century. But the JFK assassination to this day, we probably, in our lifetime, probably when I'm about 105, will probably know some of the truth of what really happened on that day in Dallas. Now, that is probably one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of the whole 20th century. So think about it. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs>